Good morning. Who needs grace this morning? Anybody? Okay, about half. All right. <laughs> you have your outline. That's what we're talking about. My name is Dan. I'm a leader here at Grace Fellowship. It's my privilege to open up God's Word with you. We'll be in Genesis 3. Once a year, uh, we have this church tradition, and what we do is we preach a three-week series on our three church principles. Uh, we do the first one on grace. This is Grace Fellowship Church, by the way. We do one on grace, one on fellowship, and one on church. Right, great. We keep it simple. Um, so it's going to be a talk. This is going to be a talk about our church principle of grace. Will this be boring, Dan? No, it will not. Um, this this stuff actually helps us remember why we go to church. Uh, it's foundational stuff. So if it's your first week here, good good first week. Um, but this year we're actually going to do something different. We're going to spend all three weeks talking about just grace. All three weeks. Here's why. Because without grace, we have no fellowship and no church. So if you got to talk about one, talk about grace. Grace matters. It's defined as unearned favor from God. Unearned favor from God. That just means if you're going to get any favor from God, if God's going to like you, if God's going to give you stuff, it's only if He gives it to you. You get that? Like if you're if if you're going to get any favor from God, it's going to be because He gives the favor, because He invented it. Grace is a part of who God is. It wasn't just something that was invented on the cross. It was part of God who is without time. And since God reveals himself to us through the Bible, grace is a thread that runs through the entire thing. It's not just in the New Testament. It's all over. You might have heard a bit of that with Tom last week talking about Jesus being the point of all Scripture. So today we're going to look at the beginning of that thread of grace in Genesis. Or another way of saying it is the title of your outline in the beginning, there was grace. Next week, probably, we're going to look at grace for today. And the week after that, probably, we're going to talk about grace in the future. So today we're in Genesis 3. We're going to see, and it's your first point, that all mankind has always, always, always needed grace. Because from the beginning, we rebelled against God and it just got worse. So, in other words, we earned no favor with God in the beginning. Then, we'll see God respond to that rebellion in three amazing ways. First, is He promises future grace. Second, He provides graceful punishment. And third, He pays for present grace until the future promises would be fulfilled. Here's my point. You're going to see grace which is very good news, spill off the pages of a chapter in the Bible that most people stereotype as bad news. This is actually a good news chapter. So first the setup. Get you up to Genesis 3. God has created everything. Most of you probably heard this one. He's given Adam all he needs. He's given him perfect health. He's given him satisfying work. And um, he's given him authority over nature. And just for fun, he threw in an awesome wife. Just gave him the whole thing. The American dream, right? Actually more. More than the American dream. Because none of this stuff has been affected by sin yet. It's all 
perfect. Adam and Eve, their bodies are actually spotless. That'd be nice. There are no thorns or weeds in the garden. That'd be real nice. It's not raining. That'd be real nice. Together, they live in perfect harmony with one another and with God. Life is simple. Work and eat. Doesn't that sound great? No student loans. (laughs) Just don't eat from this one tree. That's it. Don't do that. So you see, there's grace already. God didn't have to make people this way. God didn't even have to set up Genesis 3 like he did. Why did he give mankind such nice things? He didn't know them this. This is unearned favor, and it just came right out of God from the beginning. Let's now look at what flows out of Adam and Eve in response. It's your first point. Mankind needs grace. I'm going to read the first 13 verses of Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You won't surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves loincloths and they heard of the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So Satan, God's enemy, he comes into the scene and he speaks through a snake. And his intent is the opposite of grace. You catch that? He's not coming to bring good things. He's aiming to deceive and to break up that which is good. So he asks a really tricky question. You ready? He says, did God actually say what you think he said? That's not a tricky question. It's actually kind of straightforward. So um, he challenges, and uh, what does Eve do? She repeats back God's command. She says, if we eat that fruit, we die. In fact, if we touch it, we die. She puts a little extra on it. And I like that phrase because that's actually the only good thing that any person does in this chapter. That's sadly the only thing that any, the only good thing that any human being does in this chapter. Eve speaks God's words right back to God's enemy. 
But Satan fights back and he says, you won't die. In fact, you'll be like God. And Eve goes for it. And where's Adam during this? This is my favorite part. Verse 6 says he's just been standing around the whole time. You know any guys like that? You're a bad gardener, Adam. That snake should have gotten your foot. But it didn't. Just stood there. And so, so here's what actually just happened. Both Adam and Eve just failed their jobs. God gave them one job and they failed it. God called Adam to hold fast to his wife. Did he do that? No. God called Adam to work. Did he do that? No. He stood around, put an orange vest on him. Pen dot joke. And Eve was called to hold fast to Adam and trust God too, made in the likeness, made just made out of Adam. But what does she do? She quotes God's words, but then does she obey? No. So what's the point of quoting God's words if you're not going to do them? No good. And so they follow the words of God's enemy, and then they run and hide. Wait. They run and hide? What was the punishment again? You guys remember? It was like Eve's only line. If we eat the fruit, we... Why are they not dead? They should be dead. They should be dead. God has every right based on the rules He set up to follow through. He wouldn't even have to. He could just do it. But He doesn't. He sets up rules. He says, don't do this. And they do it. Why do they not die? And in fact, look at how God comes in verse 8. He walks. He walks. God walks. He doesn't come in like at the end of the book of Job, if you read that. He doesn't come in like a hurricane. He walks. He calls out. Not in anger. Where are you? That's all he says. He asks questions of the he doesn't need to ask questions god knows where they're hiding look at verse 11 god knows what adam did he doesn't need to ask and verse 13 god knows what eve did guys this is grace he's trying to help them learn he's trying to help them understand what they've done it's like if you're a parent little billy you can eat anything here in this kitchen except those cookies. Who's going to go for the cookies? Little Billy, right? So you come into the kitchen later and the jar is off the cookies and a trail of crumbs goes right to the pantry and you knock on the door and you open it up and there's little Billy and he's got chocolate on his face. Do you need to ask? Why do you ask? I got moms like, yeah, why do I ask? <laughs> God wants a confession, right? He wants them to own it. But look at what Adam says. This woman you gave me, gave me the fruit and I ate. In other words, God, you made me sin. You made me sin. And what does Eve say? The serpent made me sin. The devil made me do it. She had the words. She had the command. She just let him go. 
Nobody owns up. Who has earned favor so far? Nobody. Do you see the need for grace here? I do. The best they did was Eve quoting God's words, and those words did not even lead to obedience, so who needs them? They need grace. But here's the thing, though. You have to need grace. That's the point. Grace is unearned favor. They've done a good job of not earning it. So that's all they got is grace. And God's about to give them grace in three ways. Through a promise, through a payment, or through a promise, through a punishment, and through a payment. So let's look at the first one. It's your second point. God promises future grace. Here's what God does with the situation at hand. Let me read the next few verses. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So let's look for the future grace, because it doesn't look super obvious. God begins by cursing Satan. In other words, he gets the first punishment, and he actually gets no grace. He's the exception. He says, life is going to be hard, and your offspring are going to eventually be crushed. If your offspring are crushed, do you get to have more kids? No, you're done. Zoom in on 15. Satan, I will divide you and the woman. In other words, Satan, you think Eve's totally into you, because she just totally listened to you, but one day her offspring will give birth to the person who is going to end your offspring. You will not have the victory. And in this verse, in case you're new here, this is actually referring to Jesus. That's the offspring that would crush his head. That's amazing. Because how would you have reacted to this problem? How would you have reacted to this problem? Let's go back to Little Billy in the pantry. You can relate to this one. Whether you're the parent of Little Billy or you were Little Billy, that's probably everybody here. You look down at him, and he's got chocolate and crumbs on his slobbery little face. And you ask him what he's done, and he glares up at you, and he says, you put the cookies here. It's your fault. <laughs> What do you do? What have you done? (laughs) Tell you what I'd do. I'd start off with a good firm no. Right? I'd probably do something like that. Yeah, I probably should. (laughs) It's okay, buddy. It's going to get better. Hang with me. Because God doesn't do that. God doesn't do what we do. I'd give him a punishment. And then, after all that was done, then... Maybe little Billy and I would look hopefully into the future. But look at what God does. God takes little Billy, and he doesn't even wait for a proper apology. The first thing he says is this, little Billy, one day your sin will be no more. It's amazing. If you beat yourself up constantly, that's a word for you. It's really the first thing people need to hear when they sin. And by God's grace, someday they won't. Do you see the grace? I do. 
the first thing God does is promise the most graceful thing of all. He promises a future of victory over Satan for people who do not deserve it. That's the first thing God does. Let's look at the second thing. He provides graceful punishment. I'm going to read verses 16 through 19. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you will return. I was helping out in Sunday school last week, and I was reminded of this. God didn't give us rules. This is what I learned while I was reminded of it. God didn't give us rules to make us not have fun. That's not the design of rules. God gave us rules to show us how life works best. This is how things should go. And so when we break those rules, we need to remember what sin or the breaking of those rules represents. It represents separation from God. There's a gap now. So in punishment, there is grace. That's all I got to start by setting up here because some of us, we hear the word punishment and we go into some alternate definition. This is what I'm talking about when I say punishment. There's actually grace behind it. So I'm going to briefly explain the punishments. Then I'm going to show how there's grace behind them. First, ladies first. <laughs> See, it's not always good, ladies first. Women get to keep the awesome job of having kids. No, I mean that. That's good. We got little Billy in the pantry. That happens. But some days aren't like that. Some days are awesome. Some days you both eat cookies in the pantry. (laughs) God still allows his people to multiply. You get to keep your job. Even though you did a terrible job of it. Well, she did. We get to keep the job. But here's the thing. The fall has affected men and women, so guess what? Some couples can't. Some people can't bear children. It's hard. Our bodies are broken. But you know what? There's actually unity. Because in either the pain of carrying children, as anybody carrying a kid is going to tell you, Steph, right? Or in the pain of not being able to carry or losing, having a kid is a picnic for nobody. True? It's hard. It's good. It's hard. And that's the second evidence of grace. The pain of work actually points you to the fact that you need God. The pain of work points you to the fact that you need God. So there's purpose behind the punishment. Whether pregnancy is hard, whether you miscarry, whether your kid is perfectly healthy but just kind of mean, guess what? There's grace there, because you can look at Jesus. God even lovingly teaches us through the curse. That's how good his punishments are. The second punishment for women is also in verse 16. Your desire will be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. 
In other words, women will sometimes tend to want to take the leadership role God gave to the husband. And you know what? When the husband's standing around, that seems like a good idea, doesn't it? Now all that, that's like three other sermons. I'm not going to go there. But instead, here's the simple grace behind the punishment. And I'm going to illustrate it with something I've seen in my own marriage. Ladies, when you allow the guys in your lives to lead, especially, especially, especially when you know you could do a better job, you help them to not stand around like Adam. And that's beautiful. And if you've only seen men stand around, I'm sorry, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to watch. But don't give up on them. Don't give up on them. I have seen men who have no business leading become godly men and godly leaders. And you know what? Right beside them, not behind them, right beside them are godly women. Okay, men, your turn. Here's what God gave you as punishment. Ready? The earth is cursed because of you. So when you look around, you don't feel like mowing that lawn. That's actually your fault. So if you sit there and you don't mow it, just making it worse. I don't know why lawn mowing illustrations always seem to be the default for guys. But look at verses 17 and 19. You'll eat painfully of the ground. You'll get thorns and thistles. You'll sweat and work hard all your life. And then you'll die and you'll get buried in the nasty, weed-infested ground that you didn't mow. Work stinks, right? Okay, anybody, anybody feel that? Work stinks? But there's grace here. And guess what? It's similar to the ladies. Guys, you get to keep your job too. And men, when you care for your wife or your family or your roommates or just your landlord, even with something as small as getting off the couch and mowing that overgrown lawn, I believe that the grass clippings that fly into the air are a sweet fragrance of the Lord. I mean that. You ever seen a guy just work? It's great. Make that man some lemonade. Do you see how much grace flows out of these punishments? Do you see the grace here? We get to keep our jobs. And we actually get to draw closer to God while we're doing them. But here's the thing. We have to admit that we're weak first. The curse you see all around you points you back to the root of the problem. You need grace. Everybody does. This isn't some smack on the wrist from God. This would become an object lesson that would last for thousands of years and we're still learning from it. But while that long, hard lesson begins here, God makes a down payment next. It's our last point. To give people even more grace while they wait for the snake to be crushed, and eventually for Jesus to return and fix all this stuff. It's your last point. God pays for present grace. Verses 20 through 24. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. 
Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Short answer, he kicked him out. So God here actually makes two down payments. We're going to dig into them to help Adam and Eve in addition to what he's already done. First, he gives them clothing. Remember back when Jesus said, or when when God said, you're going to die if you eat this stuff, but then they ate that stuff, but then they didn't die? You remember that? God actually kills here. But he doesn't kill them. He actually kills animals that didn't deserve it. It's right here. Look at it. The first sacrifice. God makes coverings, animal skins, for Adam and Eve because their sin has brought them shame. We already know he's done creating. He didn't just wing them out. An animal died. Probably two animals died. I don't know. He makes coverings for Adam and Eve because their sin has brought them shame. Don't miss the grace. This is God saying... I must kill somebody other than you in order to save you. That's what God's saying here. And this is a snapshot of what Jesus would do later. I'm going to kill somebody other than you, humanity, so that you can live. This is a picture of Jesus later. So that's the first payment. He gives them animal skins. Second payment is this. Takes a little bit more digging. In the last three verses, he kicks Adam and Eve out. Let me explain it. There's a clue as to why this is actually a payment, I think, in verse 22. God removes them. You see the quote, lest man eat from the tree of life and live forever. God exiles them because if they live forever in their present fallen state, dot, 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 the text says, God doesn't actually finish the sentence. So you know what? I'm not going to either. Just know that if they would live forever in their present fallen state, it would not be good. Just assume the worst. Instead, here's what God does, and here's the payment. He sends them out to rule the planet that he made perfect, and they messed up. That's a huge payment. God just paid for, God just made a down payment of a planet. Because here, here's what I mean. Men are gonna go work. Are they gonna mess that up? Yeah. Women are gonna go have kids. Are those kids gonna be messed up? Yeah. Is God's planet, which he created perfect, going to get messed up? Yeah. Yeah. God paid for our job security, even though he knew we're probably not going to do a very good job. God still said, you know what? You're going to work. And I'll just give a planet to show you how much I mean that. God does all this to show his people one lesson, and it's shown all throughout the rest of the Old Testament and the New Testament, year after year, decade after decade, generation after generation, everyone needs God's grace. Don't do it yourself. You need God. No one earns God's favor. That's it. Just to find grace. Everybody needs it. So at this point... If we can't earn God's favor, why do we bother applying things? Why do we go home and do stuff? Why don't we just stand around if we can't do anything? Well, the original audience would have gathered this application from the text, and I think we can learn from it too. 
It means because you're in your present fallen state, live like you need God to get to God. Let me say that again. We need to live like we need God to get to God. Not that we can just kind of walk up and on our own merit and, you know, hey, I went to church every week and I gave 10% usually or I threw in a 20 or I give to charity. None of that stuff. God lets us in. That's what we need to live like. So we have applications too. And uh, here's the first one. Ready? Apply grace when you remember the past effects of sin and the curse. So apply grace to the past effects of sin and the curse. Who's got memories of sin that they've done? If you're a Christian, you probably have a nice pile. And by sin, I mean anything that gives you more joy than God. Because it won't last. It's under the curse. Now, there's obvious ones, right? Yeah, drugs, alcohol, sleeping around. Like, if you go to like a super like stuffy church where they don't really love people and you do these things, they're not going to let you stay. They're going to kick you out. They're going to look at your past and they're going to say, you're messed up. And they're going to say, as long as you don't do these illegal or weird things, you're fine. But here's the thing. I also mean the subtle ones. And if you're new here, you might not know what I'm talking about. Good thing I'm ready to explain. For example, here's one. I used to exaggerate so much that I would forget what actually happened. I'm serious. Like, ironically, I'm not exaggerating when I say that. Like, like anybody ever do that? Like, you just, you lie or you stuff so much, you're like, wait, what happened? That's a sin. Is exaggeration legal? Oh, yeah. Does anybody do it that goes to church? Everybody does it that goes to church. Again, not an exaggeration. Because every time you sin, you basically say, I don't need God's grace. So exaggeration, that's one. I'll do one more. How about lust? How about just filling your mind with unhelpful thoughts? Like worry. Here's the thing. Those things are generally legal... And people usually aren't going to grill you if you're doing them or not. So guess what? We usually just kind of do them on the side. And then we come to church and the temptation is, I'm fine. I'm not naked. I'm awesome. That's the temptation. But look, look, those things are generally legal. So we do them or things like them and they build up. And guess what? This is not a hard drive that you can erase. That's why when I say who's got sin, the hands are going to go up. Or they should go up. Now, some of us have a stack of those sins a mile high. Are you hiding any this morning? Or maybe I should say, which ones are you hiding this morning? That's probably a better way to put it. Because here's the thing. Here's the hope, though. If as I'm saying that, it kind of stings, that's actually good. It means you know that you're naked. And God offers covering for you. So here's how you apply grace to what I just said. All these past effects of sin and the curse. Run to God, don't hide in the pantry. Run to God, don't hide 
in the pantry. If you haven't confessed those sins to God and anyone here, do not wait. I'll do it next week. You don't know if you're going to get hit by a bus on the way out of here. Don't wait. Do not wait. God knows all your favorite hiding spots. He knows where you are. You got chocolate on your face, can't hide it. He knows it. But here's the thing. He freely offers grace through Jesus so that you can be welcomed home to Him. That's how you apply grace to sin. Here's another brief thought. Some of you might be thinking, hey, wait a minute. I've got horrible memories, but these ones aren't my fault. Anybody got some of those? Because the worst thing you can do is assume that every bad memory is your fault. And people that get abused start to think that. My fault. You know, some of you might be thinking, I got abused. My dad got drunk all the time. He left. Or my parents never said I love you. Or my body's been sick and every day just hurts. I didn't earn that pain. I know people who eat healthy and exercise and they just kind of get cancer. They didn't do anything. And you know what? If you feel sad about that and you feel like you didn't earn it, you know what? You're actually right. That's true. And if you've been to a church or if you've been around people and they kind of assume you've sinned, that's a problem. Because that's the curse. Even though Jesus came, the curse is still very real. People still die. It's not fixed yet. There are so many professing Christians out there who assume pain and hurt equals some deep, unconfessed sin. And so if you're struggling to trust the church, if you're struggling to like believe that Christianity is legit, don't give up. My, my encouragement to you, don't hide. Please, you also don't hide. Do not build a wall between you and God or give up on the church. Don't do it. Friend, your job is to run to Jesus too. Pride can be so deceitful that it can take a wounded person and slowly fill them with the crazy idea that the, that the curse shouldn't apply to them. Curse applies to everybody. We're all in this mess. None of us should be out, but by God's grace, we can be out. That's amazing. So instead, open up, share the hurt, and God will provide real healing. If it takes you a while to open up, that's okay. Curse runs deep. Okay, that was a long one. Second application. This one's a little shorter. It's very, very relevant for today. Apply grace when you feel the present effects of sin and the curse. This one requires no explanation. So I'm just going to give one very present example. We're about to move a church. No, literally, like after this service... We're going to start, and Lord willing, in a few weeks, we're going to be all moved in, hopefully, and we're going to be sharing a building with the Young Kwan Korean Church, who I've gotten to meet, and I love them very much. You think between now and then people are going to need grace? If you don't, then we're going to need grace to deal with you. <laughs> we're going to need grace. If you serve on a team here, very soon, maybe even today, you might feel like you don't have enough help or resources. And you might not. You might grow bitter 
missing the luxury we enjoyed here. We never paid for anything here. I think we paid like a couple hundred bucks in utilities. We're going to use this for free. But now we don't get to. Back to reality. Back to reality. Or you know what? You might bump into uh, Young Kwan Church a little bit. They might, they might want to change stuff that you like or the other way around. Or the cleaning and the additional work to get our new church building. It might take a lot longer than we planned. And we might have to skip one or two of the next sermons on grace. This might be it. Take notes. <laughs> Calm down. It's not that bad. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. That's the point. I don't know. But here's the thing. What I do know is this. When sin comes out, the gut reaction is going to be for you to abandon ship. It's going to be for you to hide. However you do that, I don't know. You've got your favorite way. You literally hide. You get mad. I don't know. You cover up. Will you do that or will you apply grace? I'll tell you what. I'm going to pray in a minute. Then we're going to sing and then we're going to find out what you're going to do. (laughs) Okay, closing thought. Closing thought. Just a little self-evaluation in case you're wondering, am I actually doing the grace thing? I think I am. If you want to know whether or not you really believe God's grace vertically in your own life, look at how much grace you dispense horizontally to other people. And I might add, look how much you fight sin. If you don't really fight sin and you're not really known as a graceful person, you might not believe the vertical stuff. There's probably a good chance. But here's the thing. You can. It's still available. It was five minutes ago. It is now. Here's the thing, church. We need grace. But we get grace. It's free. We didn't earn it. We can't earn it. God freely gives it. Let us joyfully accept it and then joyfully give it. I'm going to pray. Dear God, thank you so much for who you are. Lord, you're such a good God. Lord, I think every time I think of the move, I think, ah, i got to move to a new place and there's new stuff. You know what? One day we get to stop moving. One day the moving trucks are done. We move into our forever home with you. Would you help us to just remember that that stuff, that promise, that's guaranteed. We don't need to worry about whether or not that day is going to come. We don't know when it will come, but we know it's coming. Lord, would you help us to just dispense grace freely in the meantime? Amen.